Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I'm Sean, and I will be the host for this episode. In this episode, I will be discussing the unidentified remains of a woman who is only known by her nickname, the Lady of the Dunes. These remains would be found in 1974 in a secluded area in Massachusetts, and it would start an investigation that would go on for decades. Over the years, there have been several different ideas and leads to go on, but unfortunately, both the identities of the woman and the person responsible for her death is still a mystery to this day. In this episode, I will be going over the details of the case, as well as the possible suspects and leads in the investigation that have been covered up to this point. This episode was suggested to Strange Matters by Sean V, a longtime supporter and preferred patron of the podcast. So as always, big thanks to Sean for the support and for another great idea. If any other listeners would like to help support Strange Matters and help the podcast to continue to grow, please consider becoming a patron of the show on Patreon. On Patreon, listeners can pledge a small monthly donation, and in exchange you can gain access to monthly exclusive bonus episodes. If you'd like to give a little extra, you can become a preferred patron, like Sean V, and be able to suggest topics to design episodes around like this one. So if you'd like to become a patron, please visit our page at patreon.com strangematters. For this episode, I'd especially like to thank our newest patron of the show, Toby. Also, a quick reminder to patrons to make sure to update your profiles to include your shipping address. As I've mentioned in the last several episodes, I've been looking at some merchandise options for the podcast, and I've been getting a few small items like stickers and magnets to check out. Eventually, there will be a merchandise store option on the website, but in the meantime, I've been looking to give away the merchandise options I've received so far. So I'll be sending out some of these small merch items out to patrons in a week or two, but of course I need to know where to send them. So to all current and future patrons of Strange Matters, just make sure to include your shipping address on your Patreon profile, or just send it in in an email or message so you can be included in the giveaway coming up also. And now to start into the story of the Lady of the Dunes. July 26, 1974 was a hot afternoon along the Cape Cod National Seashore. A 13-year-old girl was staying with some friends in a cottage when she noticed her dog was not in the house. Deciding to go out and look for the missing beagle, the girl began to walk into the province land's dunes in an area about a mile east of Race Point Beach. Shortly into her walk, about 100 yards up from the road from the cottage, the teenager heard her dog barking. Running up to the spot, the girl saw her dog circling around someone laying on the ground. At first glance, it almost appeared as if it was a nude woman sunbathing, as the person was lying down on a beach towel with her jeans neatly folded up under her head, as if acting as a pillow. However, after a second glance as the girl got closer to grab her dog, the reality of the grisly scene came to realization. The prone woman was deathly pale and appeared to be decomposing. Both her hands were missing from her arms, positioned alongside her body, and her head was severely beaten. The young girl ran back to her cottage for help, and frantically told her parents what she saw. Soon thereafter, police officers arrived at the scene of the bizarre display. Park ranger James Hankins first arrived at the dunes, alongside the teenage girl's mother. He described the grim scene that he came upon. The dead woman lay in a slight depression in the sand, face down on a green beach towel. She was completely naked, except for a blue bandana around her head, which was soaked in blood. Both her arms were severed at the wrist. The woman's red hair was worn in a ponytail, 
with some of it stuck to her shoulders, also caked in blood. As he got closer, he noticed that part of the beach towel had been folded over to partially cover her face. After the initial investigation of the scene, Park Ranger Hankins made a statement about the strange and disturbing find. He said, It was ghastly. It was as if she had been laying there alone or on a blanket with someone, and someone came up and clubbed her. There was no sign of a struggle. Even the sand hadn't been disturbed. The woman was approximately 5 foot 6 inches tall. She had auburn or reddish hair. Her frame was described as an athletic build, and she weighed around 135 pounds. She was estimated to be anywhere between 25 and 40 years old. For the next four hours, a small group of police looked over the body and around the immediate surroundings for any clues before removing the remains. The next day, even more police showed up from surrounding localities to help in the search of the area. They tried looking over the dunes where the woman was found for any clues, but they found absolutely nothing. Even a bloodhound and its handler trekked over the dunes for two days, but couldn't find any trails or clues or anything. In the meantime, the medical examiner and pathologist inspected the body for any clues of their own. They looked for any identifying marks on the body that would stand out and possibly helping identification. They also searched for telling internal injuries or any foreign substance in the body. Unfortunately, they also came out completely empty-handed. The woman's clothing was examined by the state police laboratory for any fingerprints, laundry marks, or identifying labels, but there was nothing. The examiners were able to detail the traumas inflicted on the body and the cause of death. The woman had been nearly decapitated, most likely the result of strangulation attempts. The left side of her skull had been crushed in, possibly with the use of a military-style entrenching tool. This blunt force trauma to the skull was determined to be the cause of death. There was also signs of sexual assault with a wooden object, most likely done post-mortem. Nothing matching the murder weapon or assault object could be found anywhere in the dunes. Because of the rather calm nature of the crime scene itself, police believe she was either sharing the towel with a companion, knew the person who assaulted her, or had been deep asleep at the time of her death. Since she was found only on the side edge of the large beach towel, it could be that someone else had been laying beside her on the other half. It could also be that since the immediate area surrounding her was undisturbed, and the nature of the beach towel laid out, and her head resting on her folded up jeans, the way she was found either had to be staged, or no real struggle of any kind happened. In any case, it was because of this eerily serene and calm sight of the crime scene that the nickname Lady of the Dunes quickly attached itself to this woman. There were several things found in the initial search that could potentially have been clues. There were two sets of footprints in the sand found heading in the direction of the body, However, they never got within several yards of the sand depression in which the woman was found. A short distance from the body, someone had written a large SOS in the sand. And around 50 feet from where the body was lying, a set of trails belonging to tire trucks could be seen in the sand, leading into the dunes. While these were the only physical signs found in the area, and could potentially be clues, it was impossible to say with any certainty if they had any significance to the case. The set of footprints could have been from the attackers, or it could have just been two people walking by, saw what they thought was a woman sunbathing nude from a short distance away, and decided to walk around her. There's no way of knowing whether the woman drew the SOS in the sand, or if again it was just some random person doing it at some point that day. The truck tire marks could have been made by the killer, or again just anyone driving through the dunes. 
About these first potential clues, Provincetown Police Chief James Mead said, they could have been connected, or they could not have been connected. How do you know? Of these initial clues, the answer of the two sets of footprints would eventually likely be answered in the future, and I'll go over that part later on in the episode. A week after the discovery of the body, and without any lead so far, six state police officers and two local police began to expand the search. They checked local hotels, motels, and rooming houses to see if anyone had disappeared suddenly from those establishments in the recent past. The dead woman's description was checked against a computer database of missing persons. Every vehicle that was licensed to drive on the dunes during the month of July was checked up on. Unfortunately, just as with the early stages of the investigation, they didn't find a single clue or lead. Since the woman's hands had been removed, her fingerprints could not be checked. This was almost definitely a deliberate move on the attacker's part. Several of her teeth had also been removed, but the remaining teeth could be a potential clue. The woman had actually had some extensive dental work done, and her teeth contained several gold inlays along with some other dental work that was valued at over $5,000 at the time. It would seem that whoever this woman was, either she or her family was fairly well off to be able to afford such dental work. The state police mailed out her dental charts to hundreds of dentists in the state, along with several major dental practices in the other 49 states. They also sent the dental charts to the FBI, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and Interpol. However, just as with everything else so far in this case, no one had been able to find a matching dental record that belongs to the Lady of the Dunes. In the meantime, in a gruesome twist after the case had been made public, the site of the Lady of the Dunes' murder became the most popular tourist attraction in Provincetown throughout the rest of the summer that year. Over the next six months, 30 police detectives would arrive in the area to comb the dunes of Provincetown, all to no avail. There was no weapon, no known motive, and barely any clues. Half a year later, and the body remained a complete mystery. At that point, the local police admitted that they were stumped on this puzzle. Police Chief Meade said in this time, We're still working on it. We're hoping that if we can find out who she is, then maybe that will lead to whoever killed her. But it's hard work, and we haven't got much to go on. Detective Lieutenant Bernard Flynn, one of the few state police officers still working on the case at that point, was also at a complete loss. Detective Flynn said, It's certainly unusual that no one misses her. She must have had a husband, boyfriend, parents, someone. She had been pretty well taken care of. We know that. And with that, the investigation into the case of the Lady of the Dunes would remain stagnant for years to come. Her body would be exhumed three times, in 1980, 2000, and again in 2013, all in an attempt to use more advanced forensic testing and technology to find any clues that the police originally couldn't. Unfortunately, all three times of exhuming the body resulted in no new information. Some years later, one person would come forward to shed some more light on the discovery of the body. As I mentioned earlier, several sets of footprints were found by police in the sand in the general area close to where the body was found, but who they belonged to was just as mysterious as every other aspect of the case. However, eventually someone would come forward that could potentially answer this part of the puzzle. Sandra Lee, a writer and a regular of the Provincetown area, had been nine years old in July of 1974. Sandra and her family camped at Dune's Edge every July. That year, young Sandra and her sister had been out in the dunes with their dog. 
Sandra would later detail the horrific scene that she came onto, saying, She was in the brush, in the seagrass about 15 feet from an access road. The road follows the backside of Dunes Edge campground. She was in the thick of the brush. It was nothing shy of horrific. It was something I will never forget. I stumbled down an incline with my dog. The dog was ahead of me. My dog got excited about something. I heard a very strange noise. If you could imagine someone holding a string of pearls, I heard that sound. And then there was a horrible smell. At first, I attributed it to low tide. She was face down. Her hair was a mess, and I could see a gouge in the right side of her neck. Her arms were tucked down in the sand, so I didn't know anything was missing. I recognized the green blanket right away. The lower half of her body was covered with something. Sandra said the sound of the dead body sounding like a string of pearls rubbing together would haunt her for many years. She said it wasn't until much later in her life that she came to know that the sound that she was hearing was actually caused by maggots, which were the thing that was covering the dead body. Sandra and her sister ran away from the scene, too scared to tell anyone. It wouldn't be until two days later that the teenage girl would stumble across the body and the police would finally be notified of the remains. Sandra herself believes that with the area in which the body was, she thinks that several other people most likely stumbled across it at the time also, but had chosen not to report it. If this was true, then it could be that the set of footprints found by the police originally around the site of the body could belong to Sandra and her sister, or they could belong to two other passerbys who were also freaked out by the body and chose to run away rather than go to the police. As for the other two clues originally found close to the body, the SOS written in the sand and the tire tracks, no answers or follow-up leads have ever been discovered for those two. Now it's been over 40 years since the discovery of the Lady of the Dunes, and the cold case has remained a mystery for Provincetown and the surrounding areas. Through the years, there have been several different leads, murder suspects, and theories. The vast majority of these have since been debunked, however. Police Chief James Meads would later describe all the false leads that his department received in the years following the discovery of the woman's remains. There were many calls phoned in by worried parents about missing daughters that roughly matched the Lady of the Dunes' description. However, all these would be worked out one way or another to confirm that the found woman was not related to any of these callers. A convicted prisoner in Maine was noticed to be drawing many pictures of dead women with their hands missing, but he was also shown to not be connected in any way. A psychic had called the police and claimed that she had a vision of where the hands had been buried, but when the police found the area, a cellar of a house, in which she described, it was currently being excavated at the time, but no such hands were found. One possible lead came from an escaped convict. A woman named Rory Jean Kessinger had managed to escape from Plymouth County Jail, Massachusetts, earlier in the year of 1974. She was never to be seen or found again by the police. She did, however, match the physical description of the victim pretty closely. While this idea was held as a strong possibility for quite some time, DNA analysis completed from the exhumation of the body in 2000 ruled this out as a possibility as well. Sergeant Rick Nagle of the State Police Cold Case Unit was disappointed by this news and ruling out of one of the few leading theories in the case. Sergeant Nagel said about this latest development, Now it's even more of a mystery. Another possible clue came about in 1987, when a young woman who lived in Canada 
confessed to someone she knew that she remembered seeing her father strangle a woman. This person said this happened when she was a child living with her father in Provincetown, Massachusetts. This acquaintance who heard the story in turn called up the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and told them about it. In turn, the Canadian police quickly put the woman's story in the general time frame of the Lady of the Dunes' death, and they called up Police Chief Meads to pass on the story. Meads was skeptical at first, as the Lady of the Dunes was not strangled to death, but rather beaten to death. However, he admitted that since the woman was such a young child at the time, that her perception of what had happened could have been skewed. Meads told the Canadian police that when they brought in the woman for questioning, he would personally go up to Canada to help out. Unfortunately, during the time that this woman's story reached the police, she was in the process of moving from Western Canada to the Montreal area. The police attempted to track this woman down, based on the limited information given by a few acquaintances of the woman before her move, but they had no such luck. Also during this time, a woman called up Police Chief Meads and told him about her missing sister. Thirteen years previously, her sister had moved to Boston, Massachusetts, and then shortly thereafter, all contact with her was cut off. No one around her knew where she went or what had happened to her. This vanishing would occur in the summer of 1974, the same time as the Lady of the Dunes. This worried woman told Chief Meads that her sister had auburn hair and was the same height and weight as the found body. At this point in time, Chief Meads had dealt with more calls like this than he could remember, and asked the woman to send in her sister's dental records, since that was basically the only thing that they could go on at the time. Once this was done, the missing woman was determined to not be a match for the Lady of the Dunes, as had every similar missing persons case that Meads and his department had come across so far. Despite a continual series of failed matches and empty leads, Police Chief James Meads and his police department remained vigilant in trying to solve the case. Dr. Stanley Schwartz, the state dental forensic examiner who pieced the victim's skull and teeth back together, described the police chief's zeal in solving the mystery, saying, Ever since this happened, he won't leave a stone unturned. He has told me that he'll never quit, and he never has. He'll follow any leads. He's a very intelligent, well-trained, and experienced police officer. For his part, Meads has continued to do everything he can to bring a resolution to the case over the years. He's gotten the details of the case published in both dental journals and in detective magazines. Meads himself would bring up the story several times in national magazines and newspapers and appear on network television to keep the public aware of the case. He has also traveled to different parts of the country to follow up potential leads. While no doubt determined, unfortunately for the police chief, the Lady of the Dunes would become the mysterious case that he would never be able to solve. While he and his crew were able to crack down on multiple other murders and strange crimes over the years, this particular case would be the one that would always get away from him. Shortly before his retirement, Meads remained the only law enforcement official who had continued to work on the case over the years. All the others involved had either retired or been reassigned to other areas. In an interview, Police Chief Meads said, With most murders, you try to figure out who the murderer was. I've spent years trying to figure out who the victim was. As the years dwindle on, more dentists will retire or die. More dental records will be lost, and the opportunity for identification will diminish. Maybe someone on death row will decide to cleanse his soul before he dies and confess to the murder. It appears that someday I'll retire, and the case still won't be solved. 
but I'm sure whoever follows me in this job, if they get a lead, they'll call me, and I'll be ready. While the identity of the woman remained a mystery, several suspects would be considered over the course of the investigation for her murder. One was that of Tony Chop Chop Costa, a serial killer who murdered several women in Massachusetts. However, this lead was quickly ruled out, as Costa had committed suicide in jail a few months before the discovery of the Lady of the Dunes' body. Another possible suspect was mobster Whitey Bulger. Bulger was an FBI top 10 most wanted fugitive before his eventual capture, and remains a person of interest in the case. Several witnesses have reported seeing Bulger with a young woman in Provincetown during the summer of 1974, around the time that the murder occurred. These informants claim that the woman strongly resembled a composite of the Lady of the Dunes created by the Smithsonian after her body was exhumed in 2013. After his arrest, Bulger was charged with 19 murders, with connections to a number more. At least one of these murders involved a young woman who Bulger strangled to death. It would seem as if this Irish-American mobster would have had no problems committing the brutal murder of the unknown woman found at Provincetown. Sandra Lee, the woman who claimed she stumbled across the Lady of the Dunes as a nine-year-old child, believes that Bulger is the man responsible for the murder. Sandra thinks that the unidentified Lady of the Dunes was involved in prostitution and was likely a recent immigrant from Ireland. Bulger was as much into human trafficking as he was drugs and money, and supposedly he and his clan would intercept desperate lone women coming over to the country from Ireland and then forcing them to work for them, mostly in prostitution. Sandra expands on her personal theory by saying the following. My theory is that this girl, the Lady of the Dunes, came from Ireland. I believe she was from Ireland based on her genetic makeup and the fact that not a single person made a call looking for her or identifying her. The part that still confuses me is the dismemberment to conceal her identity. She was nearly decapitated. They never recovered her hands. One hand was severed from the wrist and the other removed from the elbow. Where they found her, it could be believed to be a secondary crime scene. My theory is that she was killed closer to Boston. I think she died in Boston. Strangulation is how some of the victims were killed. I believe she was killed around the 4th of July and stored in a freezer. However, despite some possible connections, as of yet there is nothing really linking the Lady of the Dunes to the mobster Whitey Bulger. The only real chance at this point is if he confesses to the crime while serving the rest of his life in prison, but as of yet, he has made no mention of the Provincetown murder. Another possible suspect is Hayden Clark, a murderer and suspected serial killer who killed at least two people in Maryland. Clark has since confessed to dozens of other murders in the region of the country, including the unknown woman in Provincetown. In a confessional letter, Clark said he was staying in Cape Cod over the summer in 1974, and had murdered a young woman during that time. Hayden Clark, however, suffers from paranoid schizophrenia, and has been known to falsely confess to murders that he in no way could have committed. In December of 2000, he agreed to lead police to his grandparents' former property, where he told them he kept his trophies. In a hidden plastic bucket found on the property, Clark showed police over 200 pieces of women's jewelry, jewelry he said belonged to his victims. Though the police had no way of knowing how legit these trophies were, and had no way of connecting any of them to the Lady of the Dunes case, it is known that one of the pieces in the bucket 
was a high school class ring that belonged to one of Clark's confirmed victims. Clark also told police that he had killed and buried 11 other women near his grandparents' property near Cape Cod, though these claims could not be backed up as no corpses have been found as yet. So it is hard to know whether there is any substance to Clark's claims. He is definitely a deranged murderer, but also a known liar, and has made false confessions before. So while there are some possibilities that either Whitey Bulger or Hayden Clark could be the person responsible for the unknown woman's death, as of now there is no reliable evidence or information to link either of them to this particular murder. One of the more recent possible revelations to the case came about by way of Joe Hill, the son of American writers Stephen King and Tabitha King. In a personal blog post, Joe Hill writes about the mysterious Lady of the Dunes, saying, And in all the time since her death, not one person has stepped forward to say, I saw her. I met her a few weeks before she was found. I can tell you her name. But what if we've all seen her? What if she's been in front of us for decades and we just never noticed? Joe Hill's claim is that the unknown woman can actually be seen as an extra in the blockbuster movie Jaws. Filming for Jaws took place from May to October in 1974, and was primarily shot on Martha's Vineyard, about 100 miles south of Provincetown. Hill had recently seen one of the newer facial reconstruction images shortly before seeing a showing of Jaws in a big screen theater. One woman, acting as an extra in the 4th of July scene, stood out to him immediately. The woman on screen is wearing a blue bandana and wearing jeans. The Lady of the Dunes was found with her head laying on top of folded jeans, and she was wearing a blue bandana. Hill continues on with this possibility by writing further. It is impossible to say with complete precision when they filmed the July 4th crowd arrive sequence, which is where this shot appears. But we know it was almost certainly shot in June, because they filmed all the on-island scenes they could early. The water was too cold for swimming, and the malfunctioning shark wasn't ready for the at-sea material until later July. Joe Hill took his information to the FBI, and though he was expected to be ridiculed, he said that the FBI said that they would actually look into it, saying that stranger ideas have cracked cold cases before. With all this said, even Joe Hill admits that it's a long stretch, and his idea only has circumstantial evidence. Hill concludes his theory by writing, Here's all we really have. An extra who bears a startling resemblance to a girl who turned up dead, some coincidences of time and geography, and a writer of horror stories who has a feeling. Not exactly case closed, huh? And with that, all the relevant information concerning the Lady of the Dunes case has been presented. Both the identity of the woman and the person who murdered her remains a mystery. With such limited amount of physical evidence, it is hard to come up with any good theories surrounding her death. One thing that I personally think after looking at this case is that her murder was most likely planned out, and not a random murder or an act of passion. As has been stated multiple times, the scene of her death showed no signs of struggle. It would seem that she was taken by surprise by a person who was laying next to her. The murderer made effort to conceal her identity by cutting off her hands, preventing any fingerprints to be left behind for identification. Also, several of the woman's teeth had been removed, another possibility to prevent police from easily being able to identify her. If the killer did plan out the murder and bring along all the necessary tools, I think that would rule out serial killer Hayden Clark as a suspect. 
As both of his confirmed killings were spontaneous stabbings brought on by an emotional outburst caused by anger. Also, with his deteriorated mental health and his history of false confessions, that seems to rule him out in my opinion. As for the Whitey-Bulger possibility, I think that this theory is slightly more likely. Bulger definitely had both the capacity for a quick and brutal murder and the know-how on what needs to be done to hide evidence from the police. If Sandra Lee's theory is correct and the Lady of the Dunes was a recent immigrant from Ireland, then that could also help answer the question as to why no one in the area knew anything about her, and why no dentist in the country has yet been found that has a matching dental record. However, it again must be said that the only thing linking the murder to Bulger as a possibility are a few witness accounts who claim he was in the area during the summer and was seen with a woman who matches the broad description of the victim. Without any evidence or confession, if there is in fact any actual connection, we may never know. In the present day, The Lady of the Dunes remains one of the most popular cases of an unidentified murder victim in the United States. It is the only unsolved murder case in Provincetown history. While normally with old cold cases, new forensic testing is sometimes able to bring about new evidence or information. Unfortunately with this case, however, this did not turn out, as even a recent examination of the body five years ago brought about no new information. This case has proven to be a frustrating one for the investigators and police who have been working it for decades. While some still hold out hope that one day this woman will become known and the case behind her murder solved, until that day comes, her remains are buried in a quiet community cemetery in Provincetown. Her grave is marked with a small stone that simply reads, Unidentified Female. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Strange Matters Podcast. If you have your own feedback on the case of the Lady of the Dunes, or if you have suggestions for future episodes, feel free to write in. You can reach us at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow and get in touch with us at our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally, ask if you are listening to the show on iTunes, please take the time to leave a rating and a review, as the feedback is always useful and it also helps promote the podcast so we can always reach new listeners. So until the next episode of the Strange Matters podcast, take care everybody.